actually. I, I forgot I even had that in my pack. Well, that's the craziest part, man. I, if Joe flicked my ear, I'd, I'd probably kind of come in the forehead. everybody, Jerry here with an exclusive offer for Cast listeners. If you head on over to SheetFeetOutdoors.com, enter in the code KAFARU20 at checkout, and you can save yourself 20% off your next purchase. Again, that is KAFARU, the number two, followed by the number zero at SheetFeetOutdoors.com. Save yourself 20%. Now here's Aaron with the podcast. Welcome to Kafaru Cast, everyone. I am at the Snyder World Headquarters, which is still in my wife's office uh, until the uh, the uh, Kafaru International World he- World Headquarters is finished. It's uh, Wednesday, about seven o'clock, and I've got a guy that uh, I've paid attention to for years, as, along with his company. And uh, I'm probably more excited about this uh, podcast than I have been uh, about anyone in a long time. And uh, I'm probably going to hack up his name, but uh, Cody uh, Diaquisto. Did I pronounce that right? Yep, that's pretty good. Um, yep, you got it. <laughs> and uh, Cody, I'm sure. Uh, yep, obviously, whitetail hunters definitely know who you are. But um, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, what you're doing, about your business, and then I'll go into kind of uh, where Lone Wolf lies for for me and in, in, uh, in hunting and the history with Snyder. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. Aaron, it's awesome to be on the podcast. Um, I've you know, heard your name, heard about you, heard about the podcast for a while now and uh, been looking forward to it. But, um, yeah, so, you know, I design and develop, um, lightweight hunting gear for whitetail hunters, uh, tree stands, climbing sticks. And, you know, I've been at this for, uh, a long time. Um, I was kind of born into the world of tree stands. My old man, uh, Andre DeQuisto, uh, he, founded Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands back in the early 80s. So ever since I became of age and started hunting, it was from a tree stand. And I was, um, you know, kind of involved and privy to just the inner workings of that and the company. And, you know, as I started hunting and, you know, honing my hunting skills throughout the years, um, I started, you know, kind of followed in those footsteps with uh, design and development. And, you know, it was always there's always been sort of a negative connotation with like Midwest and tree stand hunters. And, you know, I've, I've sort of tried to put that to bed with this extreme mobile style, uh, real tactical driven, um, of like ambushing, uh, white tails with a bow. So our product that we design is specifically, um, you know, for the lightweight run and gun mobile white tail hunter. And I think we do a pretty good job. Yeah. Um, you definitely, in my mind, probably undersold that. So you guys uh, are lone wolf and you know, <laughs> pioneered uh, uh, a lot of different things. And uh, you know, maybe, maybe not, maybe not pioneered. You, you certainly what you didn't pioneer, you definitely made better. Um, it, it's weird how uh, a song can come on. Let's say uh, I hate to bring this up and date myself, but uh, White Snake. Um, here I go again comes on reminds <laughs> reminds me of sitting in the back of the truck with with my dad driving in in the early 90s and then uh you know that that spray that you spray on like the fall blend like the dirt smell that probably doesn't work but that reminds me of elk hunting um lone wolf tree stands remind me of whitetail hunting and in the, in the the first time I ever hunted whitetail was in northern Wisconsin and uh real you know 20 years ago and 
you had an extremely loyal following where I was at up in the Park Falls area in Wisconsin. And uh, when I had gotten up there, they invited me to, to hunt and uh, I had bought, I didn't listen to them. They use climbers a lot. And uh, I bought a, a, a Summit Viper. So it was a big piece of shit and they made fun of me. And I and I, I had the bottom kick out on it, and I'm speaking not for Cody. This is my own experience. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, then I they let me borrow. Uh, it was it was Jerry Goats and John Patterson were my buddies. Uh, John, I went out with John. Jerry had to work at the paper mill. He let me borrow his, and I was like, uh, yeah, this is definitely different and much much better. So the yeah. f- first thing I did was buy a. It wasn't a. a, a it was a, a sit and climb. I guess it had the bar that flipped down like the bar stock, and you could sit and climb. Um, yeah. I, yeah. I bought one of those, and then my my addiction to Lone Wolf um, gained from from there. And so for me, anytime I see that Lone Wolf logo. Um, you know, your platform, it's been, um, you know, other companies try to maybe, I don't know, copy it or use it, but just the technology and ease of use, uh, you had kind of, um, a grippy, I don't know what you would call it, that you could like quick lock around the tree on that climber where it was like a belt that I could lock in and, and I could bungee the bottom to the top, uh, super quick. And they had a system that I, that I copied the hell out of. And so, that was in like 2002 or one or something. And then I bought an assault. Um, I think it was called, uh, yeah, it was the assault. It was a hang on and your sticks and everything else. And I, and I had just ordered, which is why I wanted to get you on, um, one of the current models you've designed and we got my assault out of my old sticks and shit has changed. I mean, I thought that was good. What you offer now is I was like, wow, uh, I guess you can make it better. It's pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, man. It's, it's, you know, it's funny, the story you were, um, you would have been right in the heart, um, of Lone Wolf territory, especially back then, um, you know, you know, originating in Wisconsin, the Milwaukee area. And, uh, you know, dad cut his teeth up in the North woods and, and, you know, you, you really hit it on the head with pioneer too, because, you know, ever since the eighties, he was, he was coming up with new and innovative things that haven't been seen before in the industry, uh, you know, and, and did the first ever, um, you know, patented cast aluminum platform, you know, back then it was always plywood and he, he started grinding down plywood, uh, forms, you know, in the garage and they'd run up to uh, Northern Wisconsin, test them out and all that him and uh, my uncle. And, um, you know, as it, as it transformed, you know, in the early to mid nineties, uh, you started to see, uh, you know, innovations like the, the traction belt, like you mentioned, you know, I, I like to explain that to people um, who never seen it before, who or who never used it. it. It's it's sort of like a drive belt and a Harley if you're familiar with motorcycles. And you know, it's this this super durable polyurethane rubber, and it had stainless steel cables running through the entire, um, you know, the entire length of the belt. But it was quiet; it gripped the tree. Um, the climbers back then were, were you know kind of the cat's ass, and then hang-ons like the assault, you know, ruled the roost for decades in the tree stand world. Um, the simplicity of design, you know, not much could compare with how, uh, you know, portable and compact they were and transport, uh, or, or fast forwarding all the way to now, you know, we have a whole different process. So these stands are now made from, you know, machine aluminum billet. So, you know, all our stuff is done in the States. Uh, we get our, uh, aluminum up in Michigan, but, the transition 
of what was always the best, which is what was cast aluminum, now to machined aluminum allows us to innovate quicker, you know, add a lot um, of tech that we didn't have prior and get a lighter weight, lower profile, stronger stand. So, you know, not only did we improve on all the basic features of the tree stands, like just simply leveling capability, um, you know, hanging, mounting, ease of use, but also, you know, everything now is a system. For so many years, like, you know, Lone Wolf always made great stands and sticks. And, you know, there was other companies that made good products, but nobody really had the system. And there was always these holes, and, and it was kind of a, you know, a pain to really be as portable as you wanted to. And now, like, even with our climbing sticks, they integrate and plug into designated holes on the platform. The seat, you know, turns into a shelf to, to hold your backpack or hunting gear. It's just, you know, what we did now has really come way beyond uh, what it's always been, and and um, it's working out really great. Yeah, I, I, uh, you know, for you know, a Western hunter, I'd hunted blacktails, uh, you know, and then you know, in Oregon and things like that, and then moved to Colorado, and uh, you know, hunting in different places you don't know what you don't know, right? So a guy that hunts whitetails his whole life comes and hunts elk, you know, you, you know what you've been doing. Yep. Well, I didn't know shit about whitetail hunting. And so, um, you know, when you're hunting elk, you're making a lot of noise, you know, you're screaming on a bugle, you're yeah. breaking branches. And yeah. so they kept yeah. talking about setting up that climber and how quiet it was and how important it was. Cause this was public <laughs> land whitetails. Like this wasn't, um, you know, I hunt in Texas yeah. sometimes yeah. now and, uh, there, I mean, it's still, you know, important to be quiet, but we weren't, you know, taking a deactivated logging road and climbing, you know, over popple slashings or whatever, right. Or, or, you know, what I'm doing down in Texas. So it was very important. I learned really quickly that as you're trying to take the platform off, um, you know, however you have it attached to where your seat is on a climber, that if you've, you know, clinged and clanged it 15 times trying to hook it up, you know, that is very detrimental to your success. And so I quickly learned that I was like, okay, <laughs> uh, I, I do not know what the fuck I'm doing. And I'm just going to listen to these guys from here on out. And with the, um, uh, you know, when I, when I, when I went to get the assault and sticks, you know, that was when I had actually gone back to, you know, Oregon and Washington and was hunting a lot more blacktails and the, the climber just didn't make as much sense because, uh, you know, of the amount of crap on the tree, right? It's common sense, yeah. right? And so yeah. I was able to get real high with three sticks, uh, just using branches and the sticks alone. And then the way that that platform worked, you know, I'm I'm not the safest person in the world. God forbid anybody listen to this is going to yell at me. I don't wear a harness very often. I need to wear one more. Um, I would I would get up in in the tree relatively quickly and was able to hook that on with relatively no noise and be extremely safe and, and comfortable And the platform. I'm not like a, a guy that needs a giant platform. And so, you know, for, for me, um, like when I, when I placed the order on this one, I just got in the platform's small, but in comparison to some of the other things on the market that, that have gone on, and we can talk about that later, it's more than enough room and it's a lot better for me than wearing a diaper. And so it's, it's well worth it. Um, sure. you know, to, to have the ability to, I don't like facing the tree. I like facing away. Um, you know, if I do, you know, when I wear a harness, I want to take a nap. 
um, it's a lot easier for me to take a nap facing away, wake up and, and, and shoot something and not have my legs be numb. And so it just always made sense for me and was, you know, and I've tried everything for, for that lone wolf. Cause it was quieter, it was lighter, more compact, easier to set up. And I never had to worry about anything breaking, not to, you know, pump your tires up too much, but dude, they're just awesome. And this one, you, I just got, I got a little bit of a white tail stiffy when it came in. Cause I was like, holy shit, yeah. this thing's badass. So, yeah, man, that 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 setup. Um, so that particularly is a really popular one um, now because we've really, you know, dialed it back and blended in. It's the perfect minimalist option, you know, to still have that ample platform room. So, you know, you're not going crazy in this saddle style of hunting, um, but you're also you know, with how light these things are, you know, you're sitting at between, you know, we have a, we have a full on hang on that is plenty of room to hunt and it's, it's sitting at five, just over five pounds, you know, that'd be like the smallest one we'd make. Um, and then, you know, even our heaviest model the with a insanely huge platform is just under 10 pounds. So, you know, coming back from, you know, five, even, you know, five, six years ago, the lightest option you could get was in that 11 pound range. So we're, we're light years ahead of that, but keeping that platform room to have that ability to stand and, and still be comfortable because let's face it. I mean, we, if we chase the weight game so much, I mean, we could give you a bar to stand on up there, but you know, it's, it's trying to, you know, still have that fully functional unit as light as possible with as much room as possible. Yeah. And you, you know, one thing, obviously, um, same, um, you know, different, different fields, I guess, but same issues in some ways, meaning you always pay the tollman and I don't care what you do and who you are. And when you go ultra lightweight and this goes for backpacking, a lot of things parallel. If you want to go for a eight day hunt with a 27 pound pack weight, if you can do it more power to you, but you are going to be sacrificing a large amount of comfort, potential safety, uh, long-term durability on your gear, things like that. It's no different than tree stands. And believe me, I learned the hard way because don't get me wrong. If there was a place like I would run in and buy like those cheap gorilla $59 stands. Um, I think they were gorillas and it made sense at yep. the time, uh, meaning, okay, it's super cheap. I'm going to go hang it. But the reality was, is it's kind of almost like a disposable broadhead. Yeah. I mean, it may last a yep. long time, but it's going to be loud very quickly it's heavy as shit. Um, and it's not the, you know, when you're, when you're throwing two, it's like buying a Ryobi, I guess, if you're in construction, you want to buy a Ryobi, it might get you through a month, but you know, most people are probably going to buy a Milwaukee or a Bosch because you want it to stand the test of time and be as proficient at your job as you can be. And you're not doing that with the, you know, $89, I, I said 59, I think they're $89 gorilla. It'll do the job. It just won't do the job very well. Um, and I try to convey that Dude, to people. For, Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say for so many years, man, I, I not to interrupt, but you know, you, you mentioned gorilla and these light and these stands. It's, you know, it's so crazy how people, um, it'll get the, it'll get the job done, but it makes it so much tougher. And so many guys I'd run through on, run into on the trail or something and, and mention like, Hey, you ever think about, you know, upgrading to like a cast stand or like a long wolf style? Oh no, I can, I never afford that. And I hear from the same guy about how he had, you know, the biggest buck of his life come in and he leaned just a, just a little bit to the left and he had this 
crazy creaker pop in his stand and it got away and now he's, you know, super bummed. I'm like, well, you know, that wouldn't happen with a, you know, more quality setup. You know, you're, you're putting in all that time and effort into getting in front of these animals. And, you know, sometimes that can really screw the deal. Yeah. I, I can tell you that, uh, firsthand. In fact, uh, that, that, uh, you probably didn't see it. I killed the biggest buck of my life right on the Oklahoma, Texas border way up North. And, uh, I was in a lone wolf. I was in that assault and, uh, there was two tree stands and I'm not saying this just cause Cody's on the mic, right? There was two tree stands. One was for filming, which thank God nobody was in it. And I won't mention the name of that company. That motherfucker was so loud. I couldn't have killed a deaf elephant running. <laughs> and, and then I hung my, my assault and what, and, and it, it's not a, it, what had happened was, and you, you, with what you're talking about, right? Like, uh, the, 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 the one moment you get, you want to set yourself up for success in every way possible, whether that be fitness shooting or your tree stand popping and cracking, you could have heard a flea fart that day. And that just yeah. the, the circumstances, you can only put shoot one buck per County. And I had to, I had to hop counties, right. To, to get three bucks up there. And I got sent into an area, yep. no bait, no nothing, an area they'd just seen a buck in, basically to go kill some time, something to do. I brought in, I hung that stand, and I ended up shooting the largest buck of my life at eight yards. And literally, I, you know, I'm not just saying this, very few tree stands because I've done that out of, because, I, I mean, it was, there was no wind, basically just thermals blowing up, thank God. And I guarantee... I mean, very little noise on days like that. Those white tails, this, this buck was nine and a half years old. They are extremely smart after three and a half, just like a mule deer. And so, you know, people ask me about it and I'm like, look, I, you got to do everything you can for success. And the smallest little creek, maybe it won't blow out, but I bet it'll, it's going to duck your string when you shoot because it's on alert after that. So yeah, I'm just agreeing with your your story. And I ended up shooting the biggest buck of my life, you know, out of that, that assault. And I've had that thing. Well, it's made it through four marriages. I've had that thing. I think since 2003 is when I bought that. Oh, oh yeah. Yep. You know, it's an investment, man, investment forever. Uh, you know, uh, lifetime, your kids will be using these units. Uh, it's amazing how many, even, you know, guys I talk to that still have some of the original, uh, models from way back when, um, but you know, that, that's a, that's a great point too, because I get, I often overlook even the basic principles of, of those type of things, because, you know, in today's day and age, it's always, well, you know, about features and this and that. Um, and you forget about even just the basic, um, you know, the ability to be more stealthy in a stand like this versus a, a, a you know, a cheaper alternative or, you know, an expanded metal or welded stand. And, you know, it's like my particular style too. And you know, what I've, what I've developed over the years is like super low, super close quarter. And, you know, you know, whitetails are cagey as it is older ones. Um, you know, when, and when you're in there, when you're in their zone, it's one thing, but when you're that close or like, you know, how were you, how you shot that buck, everything's even amplified too. And, and you just can't get away with that stuff. It's just a no, no, you know, you gotta, you gotta play it, play it as tight as you can. No, definitely. And I shot that with a recurve. So you really got to play it tight with a recurve. Um, oh, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. On the recurve note, um, or just in general. So um, obviously, I've I followed along, uh, you know, with with you and the company and everything else for a while. 
kind of three big things. Uh, one, you are buff as shit. Uh, is that genetic or do you work out like a madman? Uh, well, thanks. Um, I'm a man. I'm so that I got, you know, you could say I got two, two big passions in life. One would be, you know, whitetail hunting. Uh, and the second would be just fitness in general. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm addicted to all things, exercise and just pain and discomfort. So, um, I mean, any way I can, any way I can work out or get some sort of movement in or some sort of training, I'm, I'm all about it. So I typically do something of some sort every day. Um, I've done, I mean, I used to do some competitive, competitive bodybuilding for a while. I did some powerlifting when I was real young, um, did the CrossFit thing, did the functional thing, uh, you know, long distance running, biking, all sorts of stuff. Any, you know, any way I can, you know, put myself through some, you know, through some rigorous stuff. But, but yeah, man, I, I, I'm just kind of, it's one of those things where I couldn't live without it, even, even in the season. And that's what draws me. Everybody tells me, man. And, and even dad used to go out West, uh, all the time. And as I, you know, all, as the years go by, years go by, everybody's like, dude, when are you going to get out an elk hunt? And to tell you the truth, and I haven't done it yet to this day, I've never elk hunted and I haven't done it yet, man, because I'm scared I'm going to fall in love. And, you know, just the aspect of getting out there, uh, getting in some steep terrain and, you know, really having to work for some animals. Um, it's something on the bucket list, but something I've been freaked out, man. So even come whitetail season, I'm, I'm getting up 2 a.m., hitting the gym before I head out into the woods and, uh, or, or getting some sort of timber workout midday or doing something, man. Gotcha. Well, the next question would, uh, or maybe comment would be, you have shot some big, big whitetails. What are, what are your biggest, I guess? And, uh, you know, I hate to, you know, cliche, whatever, what's your favorite hunt, but like one that sticks out in your mind. Cause I, you know, while I, I follow along on your Instagram, like, you know, I never talk to you and, and I don't listen to a ton of podcasts cause I'm, I'm doing too many on my own. How many, how, what are your biggest bucks? How many have you shot over like Boone and Crockett and, uh, you know, maybe a couple stories to go along with those deer. Oh man. Um, so I'm trying to think, yeah, this is, so my biggest, my biggest buck today, I just, to date, um, I actually just got this past season, you know, he's, I haven't had him officially scored yet, but roughed him out in that 204 range. Um, mainframe typical, uh, 191 or 192 inch mainframe, you know, about about 16 or 17 inches of uh, non-typical points. It was a real cat and mouse game with that one. Um, that one stands out, obviously, mo- more so because it just happened. Uh, it was a tough, tough hunt, biggest buck to date. But, man, I, you know, so I've been hunting, you know, hard for the last, oh, man. I mean, I would consider, I would consider it probably – um, I don't even know the word for it. Like just, uh, in like super aggressive and just, or been, been totally immersed in it for the, for probably the past 17 years. And, um, you know, the thing about the thing about the way I came up too is 
as I became of age to hunt, I was surrounded by, by giant deer. Uh, dad at that point in time held, he had the number two in the state of Wisconsin with a bow. He had, uh, then he had shot another deer who had beat the number two. And then he had number two and number three, uh, for a long, long while in Wisconsin. And just, I think actually to the, to this day, I think there's, there's nobody in the, in the country that has more, uh, Boone and Crockett whitetail than he does. So I'm, I'm coming up with all these giant deer on the wall. So naturally when I started hunting, I was kind of, I was kind of robbed out of that initial, just get out there and enjoy it and, you know, enjoy the experience and run around and, you know, uh, shoot spike bucks. You know, I'm a competitive guy uh, in nature and coming up being subject to that. I immediately, um, you know, uh, attributed success and, you know, a good hunt with, okay, an old deer with a big rack. And my first buck I ever shot missed Pope and Young by an inch. And I remember being super bummed about that, which looking back at it now, it, it, you know, it sucks. You know, here I am a, a 13 year old kid just shoots a 124 inch buck and he's bummed, but that's just the way it was, man. And I wanted so much to, to be on the caliber of deer that my dad was. And even though I was just starting, I didn't give a shit. You know, we were not very close. We weren't super close. You know, he brought me into the woods. I sort of had to just keep up and I was never really had my hand held. So as soon as I got to hunting too, I was on, I, I wanted to be on my own. I was like, I don't want to hunt with my dad. I shot my first buck with him over my shoulder. And after that, I was like, all right, I got this. And we've never hunted. I think we've only hunted. This is crazy. We've only hunted together probably three or four times in the last 17 years. Like we never hunt together. It's, it's very cutthroat out this way, man. It's, it, I mean, you know, there, there's not much information getting shared, but with that being said, my second season, I immediately raised my bar to 160 inches. And this sounds crazy. And I, I haven't talked about this a lot on, on other podcasts, but so from that year on, that was the bar, man. And it, it number two was 160 inch 10 point. And, um, and that was, you know, at 15 years old. And from then on every year I was, I, I would just immerse myself into the timber and I'd live out there. I would, I would ditch school. I would, uh, I, I fixed up this old piece of shit enclosed, uh, 10 foot trailer when I was 16 and I would take that and just disappear in October. Uh, people wouldn't know where I, I went, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, I ditch work. I'd work jobs back then that, you know, especially after I graduated that allowed me to just miss a bunch of work. And I would just go, just go hunt, man, and live on my own in the timber and, and try and hone my skills. And from that year on, um, you know, it was one to two bucks in that 160 range every year, every year. And then, you know, it was just, I felt like, uh, you know, I, I probably got, you know, over 30 on the wall that are that, you know, getting to be that caliber or that caliber. And then, you know, when I finally, you know, started to kind of graduate and look at those deer that, okay, you know, I got, I got to step it up, man. I, you know, it's all about, I got to get over, you know, bump that bar to, to mid seventies, 80, you know, start to start to shoot after these Boone and Crockett's and stuff. And, and, you know, man, for the, for the past five, six, seven years, um, have just been going hard at it and, um, slowly creeping up and just stacking deer 
and now getting my biggest one to date this past year, um, there's definitely been a lot, a lot of blood spilled over the, over the life, um, over the lifespan. But, um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a, a quick story, not to be like rambling, but you know, you mentioned hearing a couple good stories and I'll, I'll tell a quick, uh, um, a quick one on my first and maybe my last, maybe that's a good way to come about this. But the, the first buck which would be my second deer ever, but you know, at 15 years old, the one sixty ten. this one, I kind of hold dear to my heart because it was, you know, it was a lesson in persistence and just, it really opened my eyes immediately to the tactical aspect and having to move and having to make your own luck with whitetail because so many people just sit on their ass and don't move or they're, they're content with their one spot or one stand or anything like that. So, um, I remember, you know, this deer was shot in December, so it was late season. I had, you know, kind of busted my ass all year, got, you know, got cracked by a bunch of awesome deer, missed a couple deer. Like it was just, it was all about creating opportunities at that point. And there was one deer who kept, um, giving me the slip in particular. And it was this 10 point. And, um, I remember at this point in time, this was my hard lesson. It was, the, uh, of, of a deer's peripheral vision. And I got busted by this deer. I had him dead to rights. I, I would see him at a distance, but I could never get close enough to him. And I finally made the right call. And I, I hooked up with him on a bottom in this, this pinch, you know, in this river bottom or this creek bottom. And, um, I had a killer wind, killer thermal in the evening and this buck comes out to cross this creek, and I was sitting on the crossing trail and I finally got him within bow range that entire or after hunting that entire season. And I drew on him right in his peripheral vision. And that buck stopped dead in his tracks, whipped his head up me at, up at me, whistled as loud as he could and, and, and darted off. Like, I mean, just so and I remember thinking to myself, like, dude, how the hell, you know, and, and that was my lesson on drawing. And, you know, and, and talking to, to people, buddies, uh, even the old man briefly throughout that season, I was getting leads and getting people were like, oh, well, there's a, forget about that deer, go over here or forget about, you know, why don't you go check this one lot? There's, there's some good bucks that you'll shoot down there or whatever. And, um, or, you know, go explore, forget about that deer. He's got your number. And I'm like, no, I'm like, fuck it. I want, I want that deer. Like I wanted him so bad. And it was another, it was another probably three or four days after that, that I ended up, um, you know, we, we ran these ridges and there was deep snow and it was late season. And, um, you know, we found out that this buck was particularly held up on this little peninsula in a hedge thicket eating on bean pods or locust pods. And he was, you know, so, so after doing some aggressive scouting, you know, um, I located that spot. And, you know, I went back in that quick bottom knowing or thinking to myself, okay, well, I know the trail that he's using to access that spot. Let me try and see if he'll use that trail if we bump him out of there. So I remember having my old man get on a four-wheeler and drive around the entire property. And I was like, hey, I want you to, you know, or, you know, we, we talked it out. And I was like, go scout that ridge or, you know, go walk out to that peninsula 
there's a bunch of bucks or a bunch of deer bedded up there held up in that area. He did it. And then I went down in the bottom at a distance at an observation and I witnessed, or, you know, I, I witnessed that buck, you know, when he got bumped out of that area that he was held up in and forced out, he went down and he actually ended up taking that exact path that he wanted to originally take that day where he got busted. So I knew that that was his, that was his point, his, his point of ease that he would cross that creek, and that's where he wanted to be. Uh, now I didn't have any winds or anything set up for that, but I knew, you know, knowing point A where he was, point B where I know he was going to cross, I knew exactly where the where the land would funnel down, and I could get into this spot for an ambush. So, you know, I remember that following, calling my dad that, or telling my dad that following day, I'm like, hey, I want you to go drive or go drive over there, and I want you to walk that ridge again. And he's like, no, fuck that. I'm not doing that. He's like, he's like, I'm, you know, and I'm like, dude, just give me, give me one, just, just go do it for me one more time. You know, I remember having to freaking force him into that. And he's like, well, what's, you know, and I'm like, just, I think I got, I got, I got a plan. Right. And you know, I'm, I'm 15. So I grab the stand, I walk and find this trail. I cut this track in the snow and I hang that stand six feet off the ground and I get there and I get my bow on my knee and I didn't know better at that time to, just maybe just get a little away. I picked the one tree that was dead on that trail. And I'm like, I need to get as close to this thing as I can. And I, you know, there's no way I can miss them. And I was so close to the trail and so set up wrong that in fact, when he scouted that Ridge, this buck blew out and, and, and I watched him dip down this Valley. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, Holy shit. I'm like, it worked. He's coming. You know? So I remember, um, I set up my stand facing the wrong direction. I'm sitting down. I thought I was ready and he's coming from my right and walking right toward me. I'm, I'm literally one pace away from the trail. So I'm like, Oh shit. So I remember as he gets, he gets about five feet from me and knows something is seriously wrong and stops dead in his tracks. And at this time, and he was on a trot. So at this time I had just came to full draw facing the complete opposite direction. And I'm looking over my right shoulder or over my elbow and I'm like, and he stops and he's looking right at me or looking right in my, and I'm like, Oh fuck. So then I'm like, I'm like, there's no way he starts, he sidesteps one time and he's trying to pick it apart and see what I am. And then he, as soon as he puts his head down to turn and bolt away, I cock myself. I, I, I do a full swing completely across my right knee, spin my ass on the seat and my feet go out. At this time, he he stops momentarily to look back over his shoulder after busting out, and he's at about 17 yards, and I smoked him right behind the shoulder. And um, and I remember he, he ran off, um, and he didn't go about maybe 100 and, uh, 150 yards, but that being and, – and him being right at that bar, 161 inches, uh, clean, big, 22-inch wide, 10-point, I was like – that was my, my moment of, of like, you know, I did it. So, and, and it taught me that, that aggressive approach and sticking on a deer and thinking outside the box, um, you know, and also common sense. Uh, it really, so, you know, that at the forefront of my entire kind of whitetail uh, career or, or, you know, time span was just a huge, um, a huge thing for me, I think. And how many years ago was that? 
Uh, that'd probably be uh, probably seventeen ish, seventeen ish years ago. How old are you now? Uh, Eighteen, thirty-two. Gotcha. So yeah, so I mean, you were young, yeah. um, you know, at the, at that point, yeah. and you know, with uh, it's it's funny you tell that story, and earlier you mentioned like um, you know the the elk hunting thing. You're you're like you're afraid to be um, addicted, I guess. One good thing, at least they're at different seasons, yeah. so that's good. Um, but I, it's it's funny yeah. with the the whitetail. Um, yeah, it. I've hunted elk for so long. In fact, my name was the Elk Reaper on on website or on forums a long time ago, and I had been asked recently, "What would you choose?" And I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I'm like, man, I, I got to be honest. I'd probably choose mule deer and whitetail hunting now, because. Uh, yeah. I, I don't get as pumped up for elk as I used to, you know, the, the typewriter leg, uh, the, the addiction or, you know, everything you talked about in that story yep. and, and many others. Um, you know, for, for me, I shake like a cat shit and peach seeds. If I see a, a deer coming out from 400 yards or 200 yards and I have time to think, um, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. It, it's not like that on the ground. I don't get that same, um, yeah. I, I, it, cause it's new for me, you know, so you've been doing this. So yeah. if you said 17 years ago, uh, you're 32. So you, what you're 15 or so what was it, 14, young. Um, yeah. I, I did not get that until later in life of the, the tree stand hunting or, you know, there was, used to be this huge deba- debate over what was harder to kill. Uh, a mature whitetail or a mature mule deer and being a western hunter i knew that it was a mature mule deer until i hunted whitetail it is difficult <laughs> yeah, to shoot yeah. a five and a half plus year old whitetail yeah. it just is no matter where you are i don't give a shit like people are like oh uh, you can throw corn out in oklahoma yeah they don't come to it in the day yeah. you know what yeah. i mean like yeah, go ahead yeah. <laughs> yeah man there dude there's there's the whitetail is definitely a tough nut to crack. And, and I will say all the people that I talk to that hunt all sorts of game and all sorts of area, um, they all really say that that whitetail is a, is, is one of the top, you know, kind of tier things. And, you know, you start talking about age and, and inches and a whitetail and, you know, temperament. And I mean, there's a, you know, they're cagey creatures. I, I think there's an old saying or something about like a, a hunt, a hunter's worth is judged by judged of whitetail or something, or I don't know. I, I can't remember. I, I'm butchering it right now, but maybe somebody can throw a comment on that if they, if they've heard it, but I've heard the same thing, man. Like a lot of guys get in the ring with these, these old, old whitetail and it's a different ball game, man. Um, it, you know, they, they, they're so, I guess they're so, hunted and just, I don't know. I mean, um, it's crazy. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I hunt high country mule deer and physically it's, it's more difficult. You know, I'm five, seven, yeah. 10, yeah. 12, oh, 13 yeah. miles in, but you know, the, the whitetail side of things and you know, I get, I'm, I have, I've got no dog in the fight, right? Like I don't get a big penis envy over anything like, or, or small penis envy or whatever we going to call it. Whitetails are just difficult to kill when they're older. And, you know, one of the things, cause I've hunted over bait and I hunt over, you know, uh, you know, and I don't hunt over, uh, hunt over a bean field, what, you know, all kinds of different shit. Um, the one thing you will find is the smart bucks. Um, they may, you may see them, 
but they're not coming. They'll let the does come in if they're going to eat over corn. Cause yeah. I've shot a ton of does over corn, uh, especially on like cool hunts, but they're smart enough to know eh, about 200 yards. I'm pretty safe out here. Um, so you'll see them. Oh, yeah. And when you're not hunting over like the, the buck that I killed that big one, there was no feed or anything else. I was rattling. It was in it was peak of the rut. It was a miracle. I killed that buck. And the only thing that saved me was thermals going up. It had heated up, um, you know, and, and he, he walked yeah. all the way around the tree stand. The only thing that saved me was that the thermals were going up and he didn't catch my wind. You know, with mule deer, you just got to get yeah. them above them and kill them. Now getting there and getting above them, I mean, that's a different story physically and they are difficult to kill at times, but it's like a, a, a mature whitetail has a sixth sense. Um, at a depressing level because, you know, I've told this story and I won't make a huge deal of it. I, I had a, a buck we called, why did, we didn't call it shit. They told me they called it tripod. It had a big, like, kickstand coming off of it. And um, I don't know, that buck at 42 yards, I had a recurve, just all of a sudden tried to take a, you know, took a left turn on me. My leg was shaking so bad because it came in from 250 yards <laughs> out. It knew something was up. Yeah. It never looked at me. Yeah, yeah. They're just harder to, they're hard to kill. And it's, it's exciting for me. Again, it's new. There's nothing, you know, when you're sitting in a tree stand, I mean, there's nothing like the, your heart rate spiking the first time when you see, uh, that buck coming in to the point where, you know, I, I mean, I get typewriter leg. I don't do, I don't get that on, on the ground. I mean, and I've got to kill a lot of stuff on the ground. It is exciting you hunting whitetail. Yeah, it, you know, it, it makes you think, or it's kind of like that, you know, when you're, you're, I guess you're in it, you're, you're going, 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 you're pushing, pushing, there's like this task at hand, right? Or this is how I imagine it, like with what, with being on the ground or being, you know, hunting elk or whatnot. And it's, you know, you're pushing for this, you're pushing for this. And it's kind of, you never get that, you know, that emptiness of like, okay, now, all right. Now, instead of, of that, you're sitting, like you said, and you're, you're in, you know, um, I guess, uh, you're trying to keep your cover and then you get all this time. Like, like you said, you see them and you watch them come or, or it's just like this anticipation of the moment can, I mean, be insane. Um, and anybody who's, you know, who's had a, had a good one come in or one that tripped their trigger knows, knows what we're talking about. It's a, it's an experience and it's a feeling that it's like, you know, it's like a high man. You you keep chasing that. And, and it's the failures that keeps you coming back even more. Um, you know, when you, when you screw up or when, you know, you can't control that leg or, you know, it's just, it, it's nuts, man. It's crazy. No, it is. And, and while we're kind of talking about the, I guess the things that kind of parallel each other for whitetail and elk or mule deer or whatever. Um, one of the things that, that kind of started me thinking about, um, keep in mind, I'm an outsider in the whitetail world. I, I dabble into that around November and shoot a bunch of stuff and walk back out of it. I'm, I'm not in the thick of things, but when it comes to, um, ultra lightweight backpacking and ultra lightweight, uh, whitetail hunting, you know, uh, the, the, um, and I, you know, at the risk of getting tons of hate mail, uh, I, I saw this like kind of fad or I don't know it's fad. God, I don't want to get beat up over this, but the, the tree saddle thing, and I tried it and it, what it really reminded me is of a couple things. And, and I'm going to give you my perspective on this and then you tell me what you think. Um, hammocks, 
a hammock backpack hunting is not a horrible idea, I guess, when you're in the trees. But the reality is by the time you put enough shit on it to stay warm when it's cold, it weighs as much as a four season tent anyway, with one hell of a nice sleeping pad. Um, you can't yeah. extreme weather is rough with a hammock. And I've had guys tell me I've slept in whatever, you know, whatever it was. And I'm like, all right, well, your system weighed 11 pounds by the time you were done, you know, nice weather. I get it. It'll yeah. work. A hammock will work. Um, ultra lightweight yeah. backpacking. You know, if I go in for 14 days, my pack's going to weigh at a minimum 65 pounds, you know, but let's break it down to seven days, seven days. Um, you know, I've got two pounds of food per day. Um, you know, I've got this fairly, you know, pretty much down to a science of what my pack is going to weigh. So when I see it, you know, some of the ultra lightweight guys, and if you're into that, great. But when you go ultra light, you are sacrificing three primary things. And in construction, we used to say you can have quality, quantity, or cost efficiency, and you can pick any two of those you want. You cannot have all three. Yeah. It's no different when you're talking about going ultra lightweight because you're going to give up durability or comfort, um, you know, something like that. And so I saw and I got messages from a lot of tree saddle guys that were like, hey, can you design a pack, you know, for us that does this? And, uh, you know, I, I killed a couple deer out of a tree saddle. I mean, I saw, you know, I, I don't ever speak about anything without putting it to the test. And I got to be honest, man, it, and I'm not saying this because you're on here. It did not make sense to me for 95 plus percent of the time, because if I can get a platform and some tree sticks and, and maybe it's what the way I'm built. Right. But we're in a, you know, kind of a diaper, my legs go numb. And I've had people say, Oh, you set it up wrong. And yeah, I don't know. I set it up a lot of different ways. It just wasn't comfortable for me. And I did not have, uh, you know, people were like, Oh, you can, uh, you know, shoot, uh, you have more lanes. Yeah, that's a fucking lie. I can tell you that right now. I can only shoot. I'm right-handed part way, and I have tried this. To the, I cannot pick the bow up over and shoot the other direction, and maybe it's because I'm all bowed up. But with a tree stand like a lone wolf, and and let's say you don't use a lone wolf, use whatever, right? I can face out and I can shoot left as far left as I can go up against the tree and pivot. You know, not 180 degrees, but maybe 120. And then magically I can turn around and face the tree and it's quiet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I cannot do that in a saddle. And so while a saddle may be the the thing for some people, and I get that it is, it does not make sense for me. And the other thing too, is when you run, when you run the weight and that's one thing I'm going to do with the system I just got for from you, I, I weighed it. Okay. Well, I wrote an article and, and I'm kind of long winded here, but I want to give you all the info in my mind. I wrote an article called don't chase the rabbit. Um, and what it was called, um, it, it basically it's don't, don't go, don't, you know, chasing the lightweight rabbit, right? Like when you go lightweight, I got pushed off the mountain. The only time I ever did is when I went into that ultra lightweight uh, mentality. And when I got back, I wrote an article, seven pounds is what would have saved me from coming off the mountain on a 10 day hunt or whatever it was. I think it was 10 days. Seven more pounds in my pack. Yeah. That seven pounds was comfort, was food, was heat, was was safety. That's only seven pounds. Well, well, I look at tree stand hunting and saddle hunting as the same thing. If you're talking about two and a half to three pounds, I've taken a shit that weighs at least a pound at one time. Yeah. 
So yeah. is two and a half to three pounds worth it or, or even less than that? And so when I look at it, I, I don't, I, it's hard for me to make sense of it from an outside perspective of a guy that does whitetail hunt and elk hunts and backpack hunts. I just don't see the reason. And I'm curious, and I'm not trying to bash saddle hunters, if that's your thing, by all means, but you have killed some giant deer and have a much better perspective on all this. What are your thoughts on that? Oh man, this is, this is a deep one, dude. Um, and I, I get a lot of, I get a lot of shit for this too, but, uh, man, I don't even know where to start. So saddle hunting, you know, and I'm like you, man, I, so for years I was told by, so for one, saddle hunting is not, it, it, it is boomed into this current and, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get shit for this too. I'm going to call it a trend because I think it is because in my mind, I do not feel it is, it, it's an efficient or, a, you know, the efficient way to, to whitetail hunt. Um, now I, I'm fortunate enough to, to know personally the pioneer of, of, of saddle hunting or the saddle style and the small platforms. Uh, he is actually a buddy of the old man's. Um, his name's Brad Coonert. And back in the eighties, he was fastening up these tiny little platforms and, and they made a go, um, at launching that stuff long ago. And now it's kind of resurfaced and, you know, and, and nobody, nobody even thought twice about it back then. Everybody's like, Oh no, it's resurfaced now. And I think it's this, it's this fake allure of having this, you know, superior setup that's lighter weight, that's easier to set up when now with some of the stuff that, that, you know, we have nowadays in development on the tree stand and sticks, it, it couldn't be farther from the truth. And I don't want to, and I've, I've dove into this too and actually um, hunted this way because, you know, with, you know, sort of my reputation of being, you know, light and fast and, and hunting the way I do, uh, a lot of buddies, a lot of people I would run into at expos and throughout the years that did saddle hunt, they're like, dude, if you saddle hunted, you would never go back. It, it is made for guys like you, this and that. And I said, okay, you know, um, so I gave it a shot and, and I wanted to see, and I was, I was prepared to leave everything behind and go full saddle. You know, had it worked out for me and I didn't just try it one day. You know, I, I ran with it for months in the season, you know, that's, that's hunting, you know, uh, every day, multiple times a day, different trees every day, you know, just, and I, I was going hard at it and, you know, through my process, um, you know, it was a little, you could, I've never been a, a weight chaser either. As far as now we design stuff that's, that's lightweight and it's a system and we want to get guys the most efficient stuff as, as we can get. But in my opinion, people have become more obsessed with getting a lightweight setup and doing all this unnecessary bullshit to, I mean like ditching, ditching buckles to save four ounces is the stupidest thing in my opinion. Now people hate me for this. And when I do my, my talks and stuff, I, I do a big segment about buckles versus buckless. And I, and it is, you are, you're giving up so much efficiency and so much function and so much time in just ditching that four ounces. And let's say you got three buckles. We're talking about a pound dude, or, you know, over a pound, a pound and a half. Let's say you got a pound and a half in buckles. You know, it's just, it, it's one of those things. So, you know, 
you know, looking at the weight from the outside in, we're not that different. I got a stand um, that I did a couple of years ago that's five pounds. You know, even a light saddle stand, saddle platform is going to be three. You know, I don't have to wear the giant heavy saddle when I'm hunting out of my tree stand, which is another three pounds. I'm, you know, my personal setup is probably lighter than half of the saddle setups out there, and it's a full stand. Now, the biggest thing with this, though, and I laughed when you when you mentioned about somebody saying you got more lanes and more, man, dude, that, that couldn't be farther from the truth. You know, I think the one benefit and the one concept of, you know, maybe this style uh, of quote-unquote saddle hunting would be using the tree to your advantage, as, you know, to hide behind if you weren't that stealthy or you were trying to make a, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, a more, uh, you know, touchy ambush. But you are limiting yourself so much um, as far as what you can shoot. Um, and I experienced this for myself. Uh, people say that you can, you can, you can get every, you can get it all. You just got, but there's always a catch. Oh, well you can shoot here. You just got to tuck your, tuck your chest, swing your arrow up, go over your bridge, spin around. You know, I've, I've been, I've been within 10 yards of more, you know, big white tails to know better that you ain't getting away with that shit. And in a saddle, I found that as I was hunting, I had to make, extra sure that I was pinpoint on the one lane that I, that I needed to shoot a deer. It was so much so that I began, there was a day I found myself out there and I was hunting a buck pretty hard. And I said to myself, as I was hunting, you know, I found the spot he was coming through and I knew the tree I needed to be in. My whole process was everything fluid, like water, like it always is. But I had this saddle stand. And there was, and I, so, and I had to set it up a certain way to be in the saddle, to be able to shoot. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm up there, you know, just making do with this stand. Cause I want it to work. And I, and I had a, the realization of like, dude, there's been so many times I've been handcuffed with this thing for, for what I'm trying to do and ambush these deer. I'm like, if this deer comes in right now, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get him shot before he knows I'm here. And that, that day, I threw the saddle aside. I threw the, the platform and I'm like, screw this, you know, and that's and on a tactical point. So I have that, I have the experience, I have the limited shots and, you know, getting handcuffed in areas. It's like, it's like trying to take a climber to any spot you go in the Midwest. You are going to be fucked nine times out of 10. You might hit a woodlot you can use, but nine times out of 10, you're going to be hunting a tree, not hunting a spot. And the thing about a small lightweight hang on, is there is nowhere you cannot get it. And even if you want to, you can turn around and face the tree, just like if you were saddle hunting. And, you know, so, um, you know, you have that, the comfort, man, it was the most uncomfortable experience I have ever had. And I do not sit long. I am constantly down. I'm constantly hiking to a new spot. I'm constantly scouting. And even though that's how I run normally, I'm just, my blood boils, I'm impatient. I couldn't even last for my short durations in that thing. Uh, my, you know, my feet were jammed up against the front of my boots. My, my, my feet got cold. My feet got numb. You know, um, I'm getting pinched on my waist. Uh, my knees were, you know, getting jammed into the tree if I want. And I'm just, and, and more so than the uncomfort, was the pure tactical disadvantage I felt I have giving myself, I call it, to these ropes in this harness. 
Now, what I mean by that is so many guys, you know, and I hate to say this, but I think people just like the way they can swing back and forth and like kind of, you know, like, 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 you know, I, not that I'm, everybody's just messing around, but you get up there and you lay back, you're essentially giving yourself to these ropes. You are taking all stabilization of your body completely and throwing it out the window. Like everybody, Oh no, I can be still in a saddle. I mean, you know, yeah, you probably can be momentarily, but in general you can't be. And when I ambush, you know, when I find myself on these ambushes, it's, it's, it's up close and personal. I've never been a good shot with a bow. So, I mean, the farthest I've ever shot in a deer was 20 yards, 21 yards was my farthest shot ever with a compound. Um, and I've just, I've never been about shooting my bow. I've been about hunting and, and not that I'm like this horrible hack shot. I just like them close, man. And, and I want to make this thing. I want to make that shot as easy as possible. So I'm close quarters. So I'm usually sitting. And if I'm standing, uh, the reason I, I tend to sit is because I'm taking this, I'm taking stabilization of my body 50% out of the equation. Some people argue with me that they can, they can stand as still as I can sit. And I say, fuck no, you, you, there's no way. Like even a guy who can stand really still, what you don't realize is you're even sometimes you're swaying a 16th eighth of an inch, whatever that is in a dead calm timber. If a buck looks up and sees that sway, you're fucked. I don't, I, I don't care. You know, I mean, it's happened to me. I've seen it happen too many times when I can take my legs out of the equation and sit down on the platform, I, I can sit a hundred percent perfectly still now. And then if I add my legs into that platform, I'm less stable. Now put myself or put yourself in a saddle and just tip your, your feet to the tree. Now you're swinging on a pendulum. How are you completely and utterly still in that position while having your bow ready to draw you know, on a passing by whitetail inside of 10 yards, it is a, it, it's a damn near impossible feat, you know, with, with the saddle. I've seen videos of guys, you know, leaning too far and getting, you know, literally whipped around a tree bucks of their lifetime ran off. So man, dude, I've, I've put a lot of time into this and I'm not to each their own. I got good buddies that, that run saddles. It is not for me, man. I, 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 I've picked it apart, um, time and time again. And, and I'll, you know, I'll stand by that. No, and I, I mean, I'm with you on that to each their own. And I don't want, um, like anything, if I, um, you know, whether it be, I don't know, picket, whatever arrow rest or peep size or boot I use, right. That's my, what has worked best for yeah. me. I just, uh, want to make sure obviously as you are not, you know, you're a very proficient killer of large whitetails. Um, you, you might want to listen to you. Right. And I've used a lone wolf for two decades, I guess, uh, Jesus Christ, I'm getting old. And I think that when you look at, um, I I would say that, you know what, there's going to be a place and space where maybe you could talk yourself in that, uh, into the fact that a a tree saddle would, would be a better option. What I have found, and I am going to get hate for this, the majority of, of tree saddle hunters, not all, but are really good at running numbers and, um, computing like what's the lightest weight thing. Um, and, and maybe, um, without getting too much hate mail, not, if you're constantly running numbers and algorithms to get the lightest weight system possible, um, and maybe not getting out in the woods as much as you possibly could, 
you know, it's something to think about. And, and ultralight backpackers, backpack hunters are sometimes the same way. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way. What I'm saying is the guys that spend a shit ton of money on gear, and I'm a gear guy, but don't save it to go hunting. Sometimes they need conked in the head to yeah. say, hey, dude, dude, don't spend all that money. You go hunting, you know? <laughs> Dude, I, I'm, a, I'm a blunt dude too, man. Uh, and a lot of times, uh, you know, I get shit for this too, but I'll, I, I will firmly stand by it. To, in today's day and age, right now, hunters, I'm saying hunters in general, you know, like, you know, um, saddle hunters, tree stand hunters, it has become so crazy. And in, in with the internet and, and, man, I've never, I've never been a big internet guy. Um, and, but seeing what goes on out there, I'll, I'll, I'll come on and say it hands down people right now. And say, I mean, and it just so happens that saddle hunters, I think probably make up the majority of this, but I think hunters in general right now are they're They care more about tinkering with shit than they actually do hunting. Half the people on these, half the people on uh, online that you're listening to about getting this set up to this weight or getting up the tree like this, they're probably hunting three days a year. And, and, and half-ass hunting at that. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to call anybody out, but my point is if these guys spent even a, let, let's, let's go super conservative. If these guys spent 30% of the time that they spend tinkering with their gear, actually hitting it hard in the timber, they would be light years ahead. You know, I mean, because, in the grand scheme of things, we're splitting hairs, man. And I mean, you know, get your setup. I'm sure it's the same thing with backpacking, backpack hunting. Get your setup to where it's going to do exactly what you need it to do. Know what you need for your, your mission and, and, and freaking call it a day and go. And if it's, you know what I mean? If, if the two pounds is going to make or break you, maybe the same for you. You know I mean? You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, man, know what you need and be prepared for it don't it's just crazy man no it is and i again i'm sure we're gonna get beat up for this but fuck it um and and i'm on the the outside looking in right i I mean don't get me and i tell people this all the time i'm not a a great i'm not like you i'm not a great whitetail hunter i hit what i'm aiming at i do what i'm told and i use common sense now i've killed a shit pile of whitetails but it's not my um i'm not a professional by any stretch of the definition or the imagination i just like going and when somebody tells me there's deer here, I'm smart enough to figure out probably where they're coming from, where their food, and their bed area is. After that, and let's face it, I mean, there are going to be some people that may go way, way in to sit in a tree stand. A lot of different people are going 500 to 1,500 yards. Coming from a, and this is an outside <laughs> looking in, the backpacking perspective where I am hiking in 5, 7, 9, 12, yeah. 14 miles in, with everything that is is involved in in keeping me alive in my pack what the fuck does two pounds matter and 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 i've dude, i've used this dude, for the last four or five it, years tree stand honey no go I'm go ahead start a clap for you <laughs> well I'm, just, I'm trying to get thought <laughs> well I just, I just have people they'll dude, it, run things by me i'm like how fucking far are you going like Jesus, maybe yeah. I'm a I'm a pussy, right? Like I I haven't hiked that far, and I, there is places I will say there's guys that get after it whitetail hunting, but from my mm-hmm. I have hunted in in Michigan, uh, Minnesota, 
Wisconsin, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama, Georgia, and Tennessee. And I'm probably missing a couple. So not not as much as some people, but I have gotten to whitetail hunt a decent amount. I don't know that I've ever gone more than a mile. And so I can dude, pack I, you see, for yeah. a mile. What the hell is two or three pounds? Dude, I'm... I love that that I love that you're saying this because I I can't be the one to bring this point up because especially because I'm not such a versed Western hunter like you right so I mean I will I'm an opportunistic hunter uh, you know I like that you mentioned too like oh if somebody tells me there's deer in there I'll go go in there and see what the hell is going on but I'll hunt them I mean if I've seen deer off the in thickets off the side of interstates that I've tried to get around on. I've hunted, you know, big, huge private tracts of land, you know, public pieces, whatever. I don't have the experience of, I mean, I'm talking, you know, days of backpacking, you know, like uh, mountain hunting for elk and, and expedition backpacking, whatever, like you're doing. And the fact that, you know, you can, you can identify this because it is so true. Even that you can get remote with whitetail. You know, I got a buddy who hunts them out in Idaho and they're up in the mountains and he packs in quite far, but even he will tell you, you know, he's taken X to this access point or logging road where he can walk in from there. I don't care. I mean, there's nobody out there that's consistently, well, two, last year I went to down to Southern Ohio on the border of Kentucky. And what I was trying to do was look for the biggest, vastest, hilliest ground I could get on whitetails in. And there was a couple situations where I found myself, you know, getting, you know, snaking through about, let's say, you know, three miles, right. Of, of walking when I started, you know, and this is, maybe this is different because I, I train in all different aspects, but the amount of people that are going even a fraction of that is 95% of whitetail hunters. And there's always some access, even in these remote places, you know, a mile. Yeah. Okay. I, I get a mile up a mountain or like when I was down in West Virginia, yeah, that's a good walk. But dude, when I started, like, I think people are just, they're timid, out of shape, a little lazy for the most part. But when you look at a guy like you, who's hiking in God knows how far, you know, with a 50, 60 pound pack living for six days, you're going out for an evening hunt or you're going out to hunt a day and, and you're walking a mile, like, and then you're going to just sit there, hang out, and then you're going to go back home and then eat dinner and sleep in your bed tonight. Like, dude, that is not, that is not a feat. Um, and when I started like distant distance running or running longer distances is when it really opened my eyes to distance in general for whitetail and distance of, and with this perceived effort of everybody. And there is just, there's nowhere, like you said, you ain't, you ain't going anywhere. So the fact that let's say, let's say you are the elite of the elite and you are hunting the most remote ground for whitetails that you can possibly find. And you're making it harder on yourself. You might have a three mile walk into your, into your spot, you know, and, and, and you know that, and even then two pounds, three pounds shouldn't make a goddamn difference. Um, and, and um, it's just one of those things, man. I agree. I agree totally. Well, it's so it, cool hearing it come from you being a Western and a guy who like actually hikes in and packs out. Well, and keep in mind for everybody listening in, I talked to Cody for a solid three minutes earlier today before he did this podcast, <laughs> uh, just to let him know that the 
Um, the, the guy I had talked to when I order, had ordered this gave me your number. I texted you. Do you want to do a podcast? We talked on the phone. So this was not preordained or talked about. Um, and we're probably going to get a lot of hate mail. And I've been pounding some screwball. So I'm probably going to get more free, free lipped than normal. But when you look at guys, and I have found this to be with everything in life, gear is something you can attain easily. Strength and fitness, uh, animal knowledge, animal behavior is not easily gained. You cannot gain that with money. You have to earn that. And so when you talk about ultralight backpack hunting or ultralight tree saddle hunting, uh, I'm not saying you don't earn some things. I'm not, don't, I'm not taking away anyone that is good at tree saddle hunting or whitetail hunting using tree saddle. But when you start talking about cutting weight, there's a certain point where I think it becomes like this big dick kind of big penis. Um, you know, I went in for 10 days with 27 pounds or my, my pack weight, you know, whatever the reality is, is some of these people could stand to potentially maybe lose 30 to 40 pounds on their body more than two and a half pounds on their system. And I am not, I am just throwing shit out for people to think about one of the things and I had to take, I was a fat kid. I've always been a fat kid, you know, and I got fit. One thing I need, you know, I'm looking at spending $800 on a sleeping bag a couple decades ago to save weight is I've got a butt crack coming out of the front of my t-shirt. Maybe I need to go to the fucking gym, right? Like, you know, and, and again, I've tried to keep fitness at a paramount, you know, since then, but it's like, Hey, I have never killed a deer where I've walked out and thought, man, I really wish, or, or had a deer blow out like, man, if I had lost two pounds in my tree stand system, I would have got that deer said no man fucking ever, ever that I've yeah. ever talked to. Yeah. No, no, nobody ever. Yeah. Now, now let me, let me preface this because, cause I can like where we're going with this. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to hear it. I'm going to get the messages like, okay, well, you're Mr. You're Mr. Minimalist because I get, I get marked at, which I am. T- I totally am. I am a hundred percent, but, this is where all this makes sense and it goes together perfectly. I am a minimalist in the sense that I don't want to carry extra bullshit. Now in the whitetail world, the common, and this is why I preach this to guys, because what you will have, you know, on a total opposite end of the spectrum of these guys who are going crazy and don't, and are shaving the bolts down on their tree stands to, to literally save an ounce on their entire rig you got another camp of guys who go out, like you mentioned, they go out on a hundred yard walk to a preset stand and they take your exact pack that you would go live for seven days with in the mountains. That's what I'm like. That's who I'm preaching to on the complete flip side of the spectrum with my light and fast, you know, type, type mentality. So you got, you got these guys who, you know, I've, I've passed guys on public pieces of ground that were 600 acres big, passed them on the way in with giant book bags, big, full, sit to giant rigs. And I'm like, oh, my God. I think to myself, like, what the fuck did you got in that backpack? You know, and, and I'm like, and, you know, me, I'm, I'm going out. I'm hunting for three hours. I'm coming back. I'm going to go ahead and do another piece, scout it. I'm, I'm going, you know, I might be, even if I'm a mile in, I'm going in for the evening. There's been, uh, I will stay in to have a tactical advantage if I need to, I'll bring my little tent, whatever, you know, I'll go as light as I can. 
I, I only, I'm only staying for a night, maybe a second night, but it's just so I can get right in that stand right at first light. Even then I am taking a quarter of what a lot of these guys are taking into the, I mean, dude, we're talking three sandwiches an extra release, fucking a whole roll of ass wipe, uh, binos range finder, a secondary range finder in the case they drop theirs. And I'm like, dude, like let's, how about you just toss that fucking pack out of the window and go out and hunt for a couple hours. So for those of you who are going to, you know, come at me about, you know, um, the, as far as like Mr. Minimalist, I am, but we're talking about a whole different concept there and who we're preaching to and what, you know, what we've got in this, this groove on now, it's just so true that, you know, I hunted, what you said about weight is interesting because so back when I used to do, you know, competitive uh, bodybuilding and stuff, you know, I've, I've hunted through seasons. Um, uh, my heaviest, I was 236 at five, eight and a half. And I was solid, you know, definitely not out of shape by any means, but just, you know, I mean, I was eating and lifting hard and it was to, you know, compete on stage at, you know, 195, whatever. Dude, I ran entire seasons with the exact same intensity at 236 as I now do at 195. And yes, there's a difference, but like I never once, you know, was I, even when it was tougher at that, that heavier weight, um, it's just a different aspect. Like it doesn't matter if I need the gear that I need and I have the setup, you know, predetermined, you know, get as light as you can or, or get a good setup. That is nobody's saying go out and buy a steel stand. I mean, whatever, you know, I mean, you're a badass dude. You want to carry more weight, whatever, but, um, get your setup to where it is and just stop messing with it, man. Because on the grand scheme of things, it's not as crazy as, as you're making it out to be. No, I agree. And I, it's funny when we're, you know, talking about this, cause I, uh, like you said, the emails and everything else, what I hope people, when we're talking about this, look at this as a, maybe the grand scheme of things, the, the big picture, uh, when you go in, are you giving up something with what you've chosen to put in your pack or, or what tree stand you've chosen to, you know, bring in or, or whatever. And again, er, like I said earlier, everybody pays the tollman. And so for me, when I, when I backpack yep. hunt, I like to sleep and I'm not very good at it. So I need sleep, but I, I'm not very good at, I don't sleep much. So I carry a little extra weight for a pad because I need that, but I don't need a med kit because I can wing it and I'm good enough uh, as far as field craft uh, to get by. I can make a tourniquet on my own. I can make a splint on my own. So I'm like a surgical glue duct tape guy. I can get it done with that. After that, I'm hitting the beacon because someone's dying. And so I'm losing weight from that. Yeah. It's a it's a plus and minus thing. And so when I yeah. hear, mm, I've heard the same shit you have. You're you're a backpack hunter, man. You got to go lightweight. No, I have to be smart. And I'm going to add weight where needed. And I'm going to take away weight where needed. And so if comfort, sleeping pad, is paramount, I'm going to bring a, a bigger sleeping pad. If food which is I eat like a horse, even still now, you know, I'm a meaty 6'1", 218. I eat like a horse. I'm going to bring as much food as I can because I know what I need uh, to be successful, meaning stay in the field the longest. Um, you know, if I go super lightweight on the way in, I'm going to be happier. But when I get there, I'm going to be sad. 
If I go heavier, I'm going to be unhappy on the way in, but I'm going to be happy when I get there. So tree stand hunting, the last thing I want to do is be unhappy for 10 fucking hours sitting there playing with my pud and looking at the phone because I can't feel my feet. And then when the deer comes in, I can only shoot, I don't know, 107 degrees or whatever. And so it's a plus and minus thing. And if you are listening to this and screaming at the podcast that I use a tree saddle and it works great, man, I'm not saying it doesn't. I am saying for me personally, Cody aside, I saw nothing that made me want to go to a tree saddle with my experience. Now that experience obviously is different than others, but I've weighed it out and I literally have weighed it like with a scale. If I can't pack to in, in, in case of my system, cause I just weighed the tree saddle system in what you sent me and I haven't used what you sent me, but obviously I've used the assault, which is actually heavier. If I can, if I can't handle two and a half extra pounds, now that's with, four sticks, which I probably won't need because I generally don't go that high with four sticks. If I can't handle two and a half pounds difference for 800 yards, I better hit the fucking gym. Cause we're talking 800 yards. I can pack you for 800 yards at a fairly fast pace. And people need to think about that. Don't get in the, uh, and again, I, I'm not speaking for Cody. I'm speaking for me. If you are doing the weight game for, the greater good of saying you have the lightest system, but not for the greater good of the largest animal or being the most successful or proficient you have, take a big step back and think about what you're doing. Cause there's no one that's ever going to convince me that sitting in a saddle and a tiny, tiny platform is more comfortable than even what I ordered from you, which is a, to me, it's giant, but a relatively small platform is going to be more beneficial. That seat I can stand up in no problem, fully stand. Take a 60-second break, break st- stretch out. And again, for me, I get a, a tight lower back, and, and you're younger. You're probably going to get that later. I can bend down, touch my toes, stretch my lower back out, stretch, sit down, and be extremely still. It is difficult to do that. It's not impossible. But again, I'm moving more. I'm not as comfortable when I sit back down. And so for me, it's a moot point. I just don't – I do not see a reason why – personally to use a tree saddle it doesn't make sense ever and even if i was going five miles in if i can't two and handle two and a half pounds extra weight five miles in for a day hunt i probably should do some more cardio personally and you're probably gonna get bashed for what i'm saying but i'm, I'm apologizing now yeah yeah you know and and you know the thing is too i always the second thing i always preach to is is efficiency like i think i think you know, this run and gun style of, of whitetail hunting and, and the really, you know, it in a nutshell, I've always said it, it boils down to efficiency too. So you, you know, you want to be efficient with this. So in, in what you mentioned too about comfort, you know, you get weight for comfort at night when you sleep, you know, you stack it's see right there, you are, it, it might not be like the, the main point of efficiency, but that, if you weren't getting that sleep, you know, you needed, you wouldn't be anywhere near as efficient on your hunt. Like, so that's not that, you know, that's a concept of efficiency that's even beyond the, the general spectrum that I normally preach, but even things like, um, you know, I take less equipment to be more efficient getting up. You know, I, I minimize overall weight, um, you know, to be efficient in certain areas, but the, 
man, sometimes a lot of the saddles can be, you know, and you can get used to them, but sometimes in, you know, saddles aside, there's, there's guys who use, uh, you know, different systems to get up trees or, you know, okay, this, I'm going <laughs> to, this is, this is a crazy example. And I, I don't, if you're out there doing this and it works for you, like, okay, keep, keep doing it. But man, I just think this, this is just completely nuts. So there's guys out there now that will take. So in order to take no sticks now they're, they're minimizing now, depending on what sticks they have, they're minimizing anywhere from, I don't know. Let's say you're taking three sticks. They're, they're minimizing anywhere from three to nine pounds. Right. And they're taking no sticks. And what they're doing is they're taking essentially a rope and a fucking grapple. And they're, they're hurling that thing up the tree onto a branch and, and getting the other side. And they're using like a, a, a Gregory or, or an ascender and climbing the rope up to set their stand. No, I mean, like it, I look at this and I'm just like, this is completely fucking insane to me. For one, all the racket, all the noise, all the bullshit you have to go through in the process of setting these just to minimize that weight. And it's going to take you 10 times as long easily at the minimum, 10 times as long. You're going to be 10 times as noisy. I, you know, getting down, like the process is going to, you're carrying essentially more shit than just your individual sticks. Cause now you need rope, you need your grapple, you need your sender, you need your whatever else you need. And, and I, you know, look at that from, from, from 10 steps back. Is that getting more efficient or less efficient? You sure as hell got lighter, but for what avail? Like, like you're ultimately shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah, I mean, to what end, basically? And uh, yeah. again, I don't. Um, I I I am not. I don't want to pretend to be something I'm. I'm not. But I mean, I I have been lucky enough to kill a ton of whitetails, and and I've when when I look at this, and and to me, it it is. <laughs> I have a different perspective. I hike in seven, nine, twelve miles, whatever, in to kill a, a mule deer, and. I have to have X amount of food per day, which is generally, you know, roughly 35 ounces, which is you know, hundred calories per ounce. I mean, you can do the math and I, 65 pounds, uh, you know, of pack weight, whatever. And then I go whitetail hunting and I'm I'm sleeping in a bed, which is great. I have a shower, which is awesome. I have a stove, like a big stove that that, that is by a sink, right? I have all these things. <laughs> And then I'm trying to like run these numbers. And when I run the numbers, like I said earlier, I'm like, really? I, I This makes no sense to me because I want to be comfortable. Like, like when I'm sleeping, I want to be comfortable in the stand. And I'm sure, and you know what? One of the guys that works for him, he's a huge lone wolf fan. In fact, he was, he was at the house tonight. We're shooting Dan Combs, um, big fan of you. He's like, man, I've sat 13 hours in a saddle. You know, I got to stand up. Um, you know, occasionally, uh, you know, stretch out, whatever. And I'm like, all right, man, were you successful? He's like, well, no, no, I, w I wasn't. And I'm like, you know, I point blank asked him, I was like, would you be more comfortable in a platform like what is sitting in front of us? Cause we were, you know, messing around with what you sent. And he was like, oh yeah, of course. And I'm like, okay. And I was like, well, you know, I asked him some questions and I'm like, so if you had to pick, 
would you choose a saddle or would you, you know, choose a platform? And he was like, yeah, platform. He's like, dude, the saddle works. It just doesn't work as well as a platform. And we are going to get a ton of hate mail from this. I'm sure, especially me, because they're going to, you know, Western hunter doesn't know what he's talking about, but I don't know. I've killed a ton of whitetail. And if I can't pack again, two pounds, three pounds extra for 800 yards, I probably need to look in the mirror and take an assessment of my physical capabilities because I truly am going to be more comfortable and that is worth the two to three pounds of extra weight. And not even, I don't even know if it's that, that's just what I weighed out earlier today, you know, grabbing the different systems and everything else. I'm a very, you know, when I do reviews, I want to make sure people understand where I'm coming from as far as I weigh it out. This is what I need with a saddle system. This is what I need for a lone wolf system. All right, this is how far I went in, and this is the increased weight, and this is the comfort increase from running one to another. Very simple math, and I cannot sit personally for 12 hours, which you should be doing in the rut, whether you move or not. You should be sitting for a long time during the rut, my personal opinion, in most areas, unless the wind is just screwed, during the rut. I can't do that in a saddle. It's just uncomfortable. And... I'm also wearing a diaper, which is super weird, and I get it. Like, people don't mind that. But when I say wearing a diaper, meaning it cuts the circulation off of my legs, and I've had people tell me I'm having it set up wrong. Well, Jesus Christ, there's only so many ways you can set up that thing, right? I mean, there's only, like, people, you know, a mountain bike. There's a certain distance your feet should be from the post to hit the pedals. I can only re- reinvent the yeah. wheel so many ways. And then maybe it's just the way I'm built. And again, you said you tried it, like you went full bore into it. So. Yeah, man, I, I was using it pretty hard. Um, dude, I, I'm going to, I'm going to blow your mind though right now. So this, this whole con, this whole conversation, you know, however long we've been talking about this, I'm, I'm just going to, I'm going to put the nail in the coffin because you know, that's the beauty of it now weight is not even a factor. We had the setup that you have, you're a couple of pounds heavier than you'd want on a saddle. We got stands and sticks that are, you know, setups that are fully, you know, rigged out at five pounds lighter than even what you're running. I, I, you know what I mean? So it's like to, to, whereas there might have been a benefit at one point in time of weight reduction in the saddle game, you don't even get it anymore. Not with what we got. And, and, you know, my little point five, um, that I run personally, um, it's about two, two and a half inches smaller of a platform than you have lengthwise. You can put a tall post on it to get more platform room. If you're a tall guy, you're saving two and a half pounds right there going to that stand. Um, that you minimize your sticks. Dude, you can be rocking and rolling at under 10 pounds with a stand and sticks. You know, and not only, so it's just, it, you know, um, it's just a crazy option. You know, one thing we didn't, you know, mention, I mean, and that's insane. What you're talking about is, is grabbing your bow and probably the worst place I've ever hunted in, in my life. As far as like total cracked out whitetails was Alabama. Like those deer, one of my buddies I, I served with in the army. Um, he, uh, he was in Missouri. He messaged me when I was in Alabama. He's like, dude you'd be cracked out too if you were hunted for five months straight. And I was like, Jesus, are they hunted that long? You know? And yeah. so they, the kind of deal where it takes like three minutes to pull your bow off an easy hanger. 
And the one thing I did uh, realize really quick is, you know, with your system and I, I've had literally, you know, way back your actual platform held the bow, you know, and we're talking way back that there was a system where the platform held, you know, where you could lock the bow in. Now you have a bracket that comes off the side. I don't care. I mean, I will, I will argue this to the end. An easy hanger is awesome. But especially when you're shooting a recurve, it is difficult to get the bow off of that thing, especially with a recurve, because it'll wedge between the limb and the string. And so I usually ran it through and then rested it on my quiver. The amount of movement to grab the bow to shoot an animal is vitally important. And when I say that, I mean very, very, very important with cracked out deer, meaning whatever system you're using, the least amount of movement possible to grab your bow and shoot that animal is probably, I mean, it's half the battle sometimes. Hell, it's 90% of the battle. And so an easy hanger is not easy. Um, I, I use them. I like them. But with the system you have, it's right at the platform and it's built in. 100%. Like that could, that statement could not be more true. That like just movement and, and a movement in general, but especially in that crucial moment before you execute that shot is it, I would say it's got to be at least 90% of it. You know, so many, you know, there's, there's the, the battle of getting yourself in that area. And then there's the battle of executing the shot. And, and that man is such a huge thing. And I tell guys a lot of times, like, um, and that's what I love about the, the bow holder we got now is, and you can still put it in the platform. It still works if you want in the middle, but now you can save that, that middle platform room for your feet, but you can put that bow holder out anywhere on that stand 360. And you can also pivot it to your liking. So if you like to grab your bow with your, with your left hand or you want it in front of you or on the side of you, or you grab it with your right and switch hands or whatever you're doing, you can customize that and move that, that holder accordingly. But more importantly, you're minimizing that movement outside your body, which is what's going to get you busted. Even, you know, when you're moving inside your person and you're not getting, you know, uh, that's where you need to keep that. And, and like you said, the execution process of grabbing your bow is the point in which we all have to move. If you have to grab your bow and, or, you know, if you're not holding it already. And that is a freaking that, that is a spot where a lot of people, can't seal the deal and they get busted. No. And I mean, when I was in Alabama, um, the guy, Brian Broderick, he owns day six arrows. He, he literally, um, I think he had eight climbers stacked up in a row and then he lived, he leaves his tree stands, uh, his hang ons up. Um, you know, I, I asked him and I told him, you know, the same story I told you about hunting in Wisconsin and everything else. And he was like, man, they're just better. Ain't no one. I was like, yeah, no, I, he's like, I, I, you know, I found the same thing, you know, whatever, you know, I gave him the spiel and he's like, no man, I'm serious. They're just better. And I was, cause down there in Alabama, they have, I guess they're pine trees. There's no limbs for Christ. I don't know how long, you know, how tall up the tree, you don't have to yep. limb anything. And he was like, look, man, when you have a buck coming out in the same area for one, two days, three days, and you have a, you know, whether it's a ladder stand or a hang on, he was like, there is no better system to sneak in and climb in and make the least amount of noise and kill that buck than a lone wolf uh, climber. 
And, you know, at the time I had talked to him too about, um, you know what, I'm not going to get into what I talked to him about as far as um, tree saddles because it, it, it'll really get a lot of uh, emails heading our way. But with the different systems, with the weight, with everything we're talking about, I think the, the biggest thing on my end that I try to stress to people is weigh it, comfort. You know, so what's it weigh? How much comfort do you get? How long will it last? How long would you say, I, I know how long they last. How long will a lone wolf hang on tree stand last would you say oh man it'll the tree stand will last forever i mean the um you know it's aluminum it won't rust it won't tarnish um we've left stands out for and even leaving them out but you know you're you're strapped you know over the course of time now we, we uv treat all of our straps and you know, they'll withstand the elements very well, but wear and tear items will wear, but the tree stand, you know, your kid's kid will be using that. Yeah. I mean, I've had one, I think I bought that in 2003. So that's 19 years, I guess. Uh, and that is the tree stand. No shit that I brought out tonight to compare to the one that I just ordered from you. And so looking at it, what has worn out on that? Would you guess? what was worn out yeah what what worn out what what has what have i replaced on that oh man i mean you know straps maybe cables if if they got nicked up but i mean you're the you're seat. casting your main platform your seat platform your the seat your tubes or the, it had it had plastic buttons or seat cushions for one thing yeah. but yeah seat cushion yeah, that's it. The seat cushion. Now, I will say if I left it up for a long period of time, sometimes squirrels will eat on the strap, but I, I was lucky enough I didn't. The seat, in 19 fucking years, the seat is the only thing I've replaced. And it doesn't match exactly, yeah. but, um, you know, I went literally at one time. I didn't have time. I ordered. I just ran down to Home Depot, grabbed some foam, and kind of, you know, jerry-rigged it on there. But 19 years. Can you say a tree saddle will last 19 years? And I would say on this, in this case, I would bet 20 years from now, so 40 years later, you might replace the straps on this thing. So obviously drifting off, but I mean, I cannot say, I mean, dude, I literally like when I, when I got this tree stand, I, I, I it flashed me back to the wor first white tail buck I had killed. One of the biggest black tail bucks I had killed and Dude, it lasted four marriages. Like, you know, obviously I'm a bad husband. These things last forever. And even that assault wasn't that heavy. I think at that time, 11 pounds was as light as you could go. And I think you guys came in at seven and a half to nine yeah. pounds, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, that, that original would have been in that range. Yeah, so... I'll quit, uh, you know, pumping the tires on the, on the, the lone wolf side of things. I mean, it, it's something that I've, I've obviously have been a big fan of, but, um, rewinding a little bit when you were talking about some of your bigger deer, things like that, where do you hunt? Do you just hunt Iowa or do you hunt multiple different States? And the other thing too, is you said you, you started to get into traditional archery. Um, talk about those things a little bit. Yeah. So I hunt, you know, pretty much mainly the Midwest. So, um, started hunting Wisconsin. Um, you know, when I first became of, of, of age or first got a bow in my hand, 
Um, but nowadays, um, yeah, I moved to Iowa just about six or seven years ago. Um, Iowa, Illinois, Wisconsin, uh, Missouri, little bit of Kansas. Um, I've, I've started to branch out to Ohio, um, Kentucky, like, like I'll primarily Midwest, um, is, is what, what I'm familiar with. Um, I've never been to any Western States for any sort of uh, mule deer or anything like that. But I, you know, I have hunted some can, uh, some, some whitetail in Kansas. And I will say at first, man, I was completely out of my element. I was looking around just like, where is all the damn timber, man? And I was, and I was on that far side. And it, you know, it wasn't long before I adapted and realized what was going on and where these deer were living, but it was just, just a different game. But, um, you know, whitetail, I sort of think like everybody wants to think that, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm in Florida, so I got to hunt whitetail like this, or I'm in Alabama, or I'm in Wisconsin. Well, you know, whitetail hunting is the same game anywhere you go. It's just adapting to the, that specific environment. And, um, so, so I, you know, I hunt, you know, primarily Midwest, all over that, all over those states. And, and as I mentioned, you know, gravitating into like the traditional, um, I will say this is something that I, you know, I've always been fascinated with, uh, traditional archers or instinctive archers or whatever you want to call it. But I just, and I don't know much about it. I've never been a big archery guy with compounds or, or, or traditional or, or for any means, but. I've always been fascinated about the guys who would could just instinctively shoot a bow. And and when I was taught uh, archery or bow hunting, you know, we originally shot finger tabs with a compound and a kisser button. And that's that's what I learned. That that's what it was. And even as I got into like a re- release, uh, and just up until about six or seven years ago, man, I still used like this giant full hand free flight, like lock onto the string with a two inch steel freaking trap for a release. And, and it was just always one of those things where that was just the, the bowl was a tool. Um, and even when I got into, to, um, compound shooting with, you know, a better release and whatever, I always found myself instinctively shooting deer. Uh, they're just, they're, they're so close. And I would never remember the aiming process of, of like, if you asked me about any of my stories, which I remember them, you know, in vivid detail, all of them, you know, there's only a select few where I can actually remember placing a pin on an animal, you know? And it, so it was always more of like a, a an instinctive thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm always, I'm kind of, you know, being that I'm super competitive in nature and I'm, um, I'm also always looking for a challenge. I've, I've adopted a lot of the style in which I hunt today based off of things that people have told me that I couldn't do like hunting super low, hunting without camo, you know, just like all these things that, you know, okay, well they say you can't do this. All right, well, let me try it. And you know, I've, I've been over the course of the last, you know, 10 to 12 years, I've been trying to get closer and lower to these deer to where I, you know, and I'd get all these messages and I got, uh, and people, dude, why don't you hunt or why don't you hunt with the traditional equipment? Or why don't you hunt with the recess? Like, like, dude, you're shooting these deer so close. You, you know, you never like, why don't you try out traditional? And I've always wanted to. Um, 
And it was, so I think three years ago, um, now you're talking about a guy who will pick his bow up three times a, throughout the, the year, if that, like a compound prior to this. And um, I'm like, in my mind, the compound was just, it's this, it doesn't take, in my opinion, I maybe I'll get bashed for this, any sort of skill. Uh, sorry, I, this is going to sound bad, but not skill. Um, but once you get a compound set up, there is absolutely nothing to it. The bow shoots itself. There's no, I mean, if your pins on and now we're, when you're talking Western hunting, it's 70, 80, 90, hundred yard shots, whatever. Like that's a skill. That's something you practice when you're hunting thick cover like me and, and you're hunting Midwest and, and you know, your shot is 30 yards, whatever. I don't feel like there's much. And, and when your bow is on, as long as your bow isn't damaged, it's, it's on. And if you follow your process, you know, you're going to be on so, um, you know, that was always kind of my consensus with that. And I wanted to do traditional archery for one, for the challenge, uh, for two, just it always fascinated me. And, um, you know, three years ago, a buddy of mine had a longbow and we met at camp and it was late season and he was like, Oh, I'm going to try hunting with a longbow. And I'm like, Oh, that thing is just badass. You know, I was, I was, I was looking at it, I was playing with it and I'm just, I'm like, man, this thing is awesome, dude. I'm like, good luck to you. And he's like, oh, you want to, and he was practicing at Target. And, and he's like, well, you want to try and shoot it? And I'm like, fuck yeah, I'll try and shoot it. You know, and he's like, well, he's like, do you shoot? Like, do you have a longbow? And I'm like, no. He's like, have you shot one? I'm like, no, I've never shot a longbow ever. And he's like, okay, well, he, you know, gives me a little quick rundown. And, you know, we're like 18 paces, maybe 19 paces away from the Target. And he's been shooting at this thing for like 20 minutes. And, you know, he's, he's hitting the target, but you know, just generally speaking, I picked that thing up first arrow dead center of the target. And he's like, what the hell? He's like, oh, like beginner's luck. He gives me again. I, the second arrow, I mean, was touching the, the first arrow. And then in that sense, I'm like, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just pulling it back. And I'm, I was, I was anchoring like I do with my compound. Cause I still to this day use a kisser button and that's it. One pin, kisser button, hardly ever look at the pin. I have, I have a process, and that's it. And I'm like, I'm just, just shooting. I'm just bringing the, the string back to the corner of my mouth, and I'm shooting. And and I was just, I, you know, I shot like 10 or 12 arrows, was dead nuts, moved around some areas, was shooting really good. And it turns out after that trip, my buddy actually let me. He's like, hey, you want to take this bow? And he's like, I don't think I'm, gonna, I'm ready for this. And so I took it, I took it home, shot it for a couple of days, and I was like, just freaking lights out shooting the bow better than I could actually physically shoot my compound at 20, 25 yards. And I'm like, fuck man. I'm like, I got to take this thing out. And, um, so it's late season. There's a week left. Um, I'm scouting Iowa and I, I, I lock in on a, um, you know, a hot food source and it's negative, probably 25 degrees, just frigid cold. Um, and, I'm like, I'm going to take this long ball and I'm going to, I'm going to shoot a buck, you know? And I told my buddy, he's like, you're crazy. You got to practice more. I'm like, dude, I don't know how much more I could practice. I mean, I've been shooting every day. Like I'm hitting where I'm aiming. I'm like, I feel good about this. I, I don't, you know, I'm like, I'm like, I think, I think I'm going to go sm smoke a deal with this damn thing. So, um, so I set out that year to get after a deer, 
uh, I did some scouting for a couple of days, was bopping around, and I got on this group of deer that was uh, migrating across a you know a big uh, uh, creek bottom to uh, this late season food source. There's no a crop field that was just kind of getting uh, you know picked over late in the year, and so you know, long story short, this this intro to traditional. So I, I was hunting for about a week, frigid cold temps, and I finally snuck in and I got. Uh, I, I got a win with the thermals for the draw that these, these deer were using. And there was a hundred mid seventies buck, just this beautiful nine point, um, couple busted tines, but even with those like mid seventies all day, never seen him ever. He probably, you know, got, got pulled in late season. And I, you know, I, I take, I take my setup in and I got the longbow and I'm a big advocate in hunting cedars. I hunt a lot of cedars. They're super thick, gnarly. I get all the cover I need, and I'm very low. I get up close and personal with them. And I jump in this cedar like I always do. Get up there. You know, I, I have to trim a couple. You know, I'm, I'm like maybe eight or nine feet up. I'm, I'm set 15 yards away from the trail. So I'm thinking, man, this is this is game over. And, you know, the... You know, the night goes by and I spot this, I spot this, this buck way down, um, you know, they're busting through the, the, the ice of the creek, you know, as they're going through and they're, they're drinking down there and I see him and he's coming up and I'm like, Oh, this is it, man. And I got the bowl right across my lap, just ready to rock. And this, you know, they come, he comes in with a smaller buck, maybe like a hundred and 110 inches. And they're coming up and he finally gets there 15 yards broadside. And I go, um, I go to pull back and I had a cedar limb like just right above my head to which typically would not matter any bit with my, with my compound. And I was too freaking stupid to, to mock draw or anything. And this is a longbow. It's like 64. It's long, you know, I didn't, accom- I didn't accommodate for that, that angle of the limb and the string. And, so as soon as I get like, I get like five inches back and I'm still a foot away from my face and my strings hitting the, hitting the, um, the tree. And I'm like, what the, so, and then I, I figure it out. I look up and I just, you know, glance up and I'm like, shit. And instead of letting the arrow, letting the string down, scooting forward, hinging at the hips, leaning and, and, you know, doing it, I panicked. And I tried to lean my body forward to get full draw back to my face. And I ended up shaving the belly hair off that thing at 15 yards. And he, he ran out and I was just, but I was so jacked up. I'm like, Oh, you know, and I went back, told my buddy, got my arrow. And he's like, well, you going back in with the compound? And I'm like, no, man, I'm going to kill him with, I'm going to kill him with the longbow. And he's like, dude, he's like, you just missed. He's like, go. I'm like, I don't give a shit. I'm like, I'm going to get him with this bow. And I hunted him for another four days till the season ended. Never ended up shooting him. Um, but I was, I was kind of hooked at that point. Um, the next year I was fully prepared to go in and start hunting with that longbow. And then, um, we kind of did a deal with, with, with Darton and, and they did a, a model bow for us and everybody was like, Oh, well, we're getting this, you know, lone wolf uh, bow, you know, are you going to shoot that? I'm like, well, I was really looking forward to shooting the, the longbow. So I kind of just got sidetracked into, into shooting with a con or hunting with a compound for last year. And after having a season like I did, you know, killing my biggest buck to date, uh, you know, inside of 15 yards, killing another awesome deer in Iowa, getting really close on some public in Wisconsin, I was just like, you know what, man, I'm, I'm ready, dude. I'm, I'm ready to ditch this thing. So um, 
I kind of went through the process now and, and got myself a, it's technically a recurve now. Um, uh, shooting a little bit with, with it now. I, I, I did a little hunting late season, but, uh, I'm just super stoked on it and looking forward to that. Um, you know, it's just a different feeling that I get when I'm out there with that. So I'm looking forward to it. You could probably speak to that, right? Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's, um, Actually, do you know who Clay Hayes is? He won alone, I think, this last season. Yep, yep. Uh, Clay and I just had a podcast together, and it's just different when you shoot something with a traditional bow. Um, uh, greater sense of accomplishment. Uh, yeah, I would say, yeah, greater sense of accomplishment. It would be the easiest way I could explain it. And I shoot both a compound and a trad bow, but, I mean, it is it is more difficult. And so when you finally, you know, I say finally, it took me a bit when when you accomplish the the task at hand and put something on the ground it just feels different than it did with a compound um you know for me anyway but uh what uh what stick bow are you shooting what uh recurve longbow hybrid what what are you what are you shooting uh so it's a it's a bushman um i got linked up with a guy named um steve steve um steve is awesome uh what's that no, I know Steve very well. Steve makes an amazing bow. Oh um, yeah, and it's a work Dude, of art. I, I cannot, I cannot say enough good things about Steve, man. I mean, from you know, get so me too. This is this is something you have to think about, or you have to know about me. I am, I'm an overthinker, um, and I, you know, I got a bit of OCD, and I'm I'm constantly going. So when I, you know, and that's why I resort to less things, more minimal approach and, and more straightforward is because I, I take, I take my thoughts out of it and I go with my gut. And when I wanted, when I told myself, you know, I think it's time, man, I want to get into this, this traditional stuff. Um, and I didn't, I went down a rabbit hole very quickly of, of overthinking and my whole concept and the entire reason and premise for going to the traditional route was, to get to, to ditch all the baggage. I mean, I stopped using trail cameras, uh, years ago. I stopped, you know, you, there's just a lot of things that, you know, I'm trying to get deeper into, into what I'm doing and I didn't want to overthink it. And when I got hooked up with Steve, um, I, I got, I can't say enough good words about him, man. He helped. I, I just told him what I was looking for. He took, you know, that information, gave me some recommendations and made me a sick rig. And I, I mean, I haven't, I can't say that I've, I, I'm not a guy who's shot every recurve or, or long bow from all these makers and I'm definitely not versed, but I know craftsmanship and this bow is a work of art, man. Um, and I am, I'm, I'm honored to shoot it and I, I look forward to it, man. It's, it's one of his, um, long curves. It's a Spartan long curve series. Yeah. He makes an amazing bow. I've shot, uh, several of them and, and a good guy. Yeah, um, you know, that's a big, you know, for me, a, a big part of it is uh, the guy's an awesome dude, uh, super easy to talk to, always willing to help you out in whatever way you can. And I mean, well, I mean, you've shot it for a while. The, you know, the biggest thing with a stick is um, you just have to be a better hunter. And, uh, you know, I've tried to explain that to people with a compound, especially for me, uh, you're usually te- using technology to, um, yeah, uh, I guess you're you're carrying yourself with technology with a, with a recurve. You just got to be a better hunter or a longbow. So how long? Like when? Like like 
like total time, when did you start picking this thing up? The bow? Yeah, the the recurve or longbow. Um so man, it not not long at all, man. I'm 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 completely green with the with this. So, you know, that season that I just told you about that story of a couple of years ago, you know, that was me shooting a bow for a couple of weeks. And and you know, and then now fast forwarding to now, I hunted all season this year with a with a compound and after killing that second buck, I was like, you know, it's time and I got this this bow now in my hands and I actually was able to I was really hoping to get it out late season and um but I did hunt late season with the with the longbow. So I mean we're talking probably I mean, dude, we're talking like a month of of shooting a longbow or a, a traditional bow in total time, right? So now this is something you gotta, you gotta, you know, know too. And a lot of people might be out there be like, Oh my God, I can't believe he's doing that, whatever. Um, now when, when I, after that season, that after that, you know, after that first initial season with the longbow for the next month or so, I was really diving deep into it. And this is what I mentioned before about the rabbit hole. I started shooting more and I started paying attention to people who shot and I started, you know, listening to some things on shooting and inside of like two weeks, I started shooting worse and started shooting worse and started shooting worse. And I'm, and I got so like frustrated. I was like, what the heck, like what, what is going on here? And what it was is I was, I was letting people sway the way that I was shooting. And you know, there's, it, it, it seems like, you know, everybody's got a damn opinion on, on traditional shooting. And, and I, I'm sure there's, there's so many, there's so many, um, topics like this, but even when I got into, and it sort of turned me off a little bit, but kidding, getting back into it, you know, I was, I was talking with a couple of close buddies of mine about that. And even listening to them, I started to overthink it. And then I was so watching videos and I remember even watching some of Clay's, I'm not a YouTube guy, but I was like, you know, I watched some Clay Hayes videos just to get some general perspective. And I'm like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I want to make sure I start out and do it right. And I started overthinking the anchor and I started overthinking the drawing process. And I'm like, well, you know, you got to anchor here. And then my buddy would be like, nope, you're anchoring way too, too high. Like, you know, this and, and then, oh, no, nope, you got to be looking down the string. So when you do this or when you, and I'm like, what the, f-? I'm, and I'm, and I got real turned off. I'm like, dude, the whole point of me doing this was, was to free everything up, man. And, and be, now I know there's a lot of different ways to do it and I'm very curious to hear, hear how you do this, but you know, I started getting in and I started finding out that there's all different ways to aim with, with a recurve or with, with traditional equipment and, and this and walking your string and doing the point on and all that and all this shit flooded my brain. And I was like, what the hell? Maybe, you know, and, and I watched one thing. It was one video in particular that, that, that made me kind of slap myself and, and get back to reality. And it was a guy, he's a, I guess he's real known. Um, shit, I cannot remember his name. He's a, he's like a traditional archery coach. And, and I was so hung up on this anchor. People told me I was anchoring wrong and, but it felt so damn good. And, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't doing, you know, this properly or whatever. My alignment looked, you know, I was told my alignment looked great, all that. Anyway. So, and every time I'd change it, I'd shoot like shit. And this guy explained it on a, on a concept of body alignment versus an anchor point. 
was it like fucking anchor point tom clum you know yes it was tom clum yeah like, that's like my he, he that's my guy some, that's my coach he said what's that that's oh, my that's coach. Your coach yep oh shit okay perfect so he said something because i was so hung up and i'm like he said something about like they're like forget about an anchor and draw the bow and, and you know i watched and, and i only i wish i would have finished the video but i only i needed that one i heard him say that and what he said made sense and then i went out and took my phone and i videotaped myself and i went to where it felt natural and and i'm a fitness oriented guy i know how to use my muscles i know how to use my back i know how to align like you know like I got very good control of my, my body and I'm, you know, a pretty strong dude. So, and I'm looking at the video and when I drew like this, I did exactly my body and that's why it was feeling so good. Now this, but I'm not aiming. This is, this is, this is a hundred percent just feel alignment. Look where I want it to go. And, and that's where the arrow goes. And I shot like this and it was perfect. And from then on, I forgot about every single thing that I was overthinking. And now when I, when I go to execute a shot now, um, I, it, I do the natural pull to get me to that alignment and I'm, I'm just there, man. And it feels so damn good. And, and the concept now, it's funny because everybody's like, um, uh, and I'll end with this, but I've been hearing a lot of people that are like, Oh, like, Oh, you're going to go right into it. You know, you'll, you'll shoot a deer under 10 yards and, and it'll be just like before. And I'm, and I tell him, I'm like, dude, it's crazy, but I actually feel more deadly with longer, like 25 yard shots now with this setup for like, it's really weird. Like it, it, like the concept I'm like, man, I don't know, man. I just, I just feel confident. I walk around the yard, I knock an arrow, I pick a leaf and I smoke it, you know, or I, I set the target out. I just, there's, there's no concept and nothing to think about. So I think it, I, you know, it almost feel like I'm, you know, kind of fitting like a peg into it. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm Jack, man. What, what would you have to say about that as far as man, I, I think there's a, and overthinking shit. Overthinking <laughs> is a big part of it. I mean, Tom is the reason why I was as, as, as successful as I ended up being. And, you know, the one, the guy is just a, a truly a good person. Like the world will be a lesser place when he's gone. The, the guy's a, he's just a fucking stud. And whether it be like life coach or shooting, it, it's a guy you want to just go talk to. He's a good dude. But the one thing like, um, and, and he told me one, it'll take three years for you to become as proficient as you possibly can be with a recurve. So, you know, don't get stressed and many, many, many other things he taught me, but and I wouldn't have been anywhere without him. I mean, him and his family, you know, were the main reason for my success with a recurve. The one thing I'd say is don't be overbowed, you know, common sense. Like you get overbowed, that's a problem. Two, don't judge your aiming system off someone else. So in your case, if you want to shoot instinctive or you want to shoot a gap or, you know, whatever, do what, what makes sense for your hunting style. But, you know, in my, in my like for me, I was a gap shooter instinctively almost immediately meaning i came back and told tom you know after you know in the first couple months of like hey can i just use my point to aim and so, and and there were some hiccups with that but uh yeah i don't have any i guess great advice um 
I don't think anyway for for people that are looking for traditional you know to shoot a traditional bow other than one make sure you get the right draw length two you know basic stuff right right bow length three get a coach four do it for the right reasons if you're going to shoot a uh, traditional bow you may not be as successful as you were with a compound more than most likely you probably won't be but when you finally you know when you when you capitalize when you put an animal on the ground you're going to feel better and if you're not into like technology, it's your thing. Like, you know, you've got a string, a bow, an arrow, and let her rip. Like they're, you know what, it, it, it's much, much simpler than, you know, I, you know, in my case with seven pins and a dial right on a, on a bow site, I mean, <laughs> you know, there's a lot to it. So I, I would say, you know, people looking at getting into traditional archery of those things, like get the right bow weight, get the right bow length, get a coach, have fun. And don't get discouraged. I mean, it takes a lot, you know, to put an animal on the ground with a traditional bow. But when you do, the feeling is so much better, in my opinion, than it is when you shoot, you know, another weapon like a compound or a rifle. Dude, I, I get jacked up just thinking about it, man. Like, just, just the concept, you know, of, of, you know, that sort of challenge and, you know, uh, for one, composure, um, you know, the execution, all this stuff is so challenging with the whitetail, you know, with a compound bow and to, you know, to interject and or to introduce that, you know, additional level of challenge into it. And it's just something, and I haven't, you know, I look forward to, to the long game with this. And I'm the type of guy that is prepared to, live in the trenches for a while if I need to, you know, um, it's, you know, I'm stubborn. So, um, you know, there's been numerous times where I've, I've tried things that so many people are like, Oh, you know, that's not going to work out for you. And I'm like, Oh yes, it will. It will eventually, I will make it work out for me, you know? And, and it's one of those things where, like you said, I think, I think head game is huge. And that's where I need to check myself on most of the time is like, and to whereas I'll overthink things, discourage, uh, discourage is something that I don't get. Um, it almost, um, you know, it almost fuels my fire. Failure almost fuels my fire a little bit more. And it, uh, you know, kind of, kind of, kind of pushes me forward. So I'm looking forward to it, man. Um, I, I can't wait for that feeling. I know, I know what it's like with a compound. I can only imagine what it's like, um, with that sort of stuff. And, you know, speaking of that, man, I, I, my, my next call or my first, one of my first calls, because I wanted to make sure the bow was set up proper. And I wanted to make sure that, because I'm not an archery guy, arrow. I just learned all the arrow weight stuff, all this, you know, uh, weight forward point stuff and all this shit, you know? So I wanted to make sure that I had that general understanding and I got on the phone with Bill and, he was very, very adamant and your name was brought up a lot. And, um, another buddy of mine, uh, Kevin helped me out with some, some components he was using of yours and, um, you know, getting that arrow dialed in for this bow at the, at my drawing was way easier when I didn't overthink it than I thought it would be. And I got to say, dude, now, um, with those components and with that stuff, it is just, man, it's, it's insane. Like just, I didn't, I guess I, I never, I guess what I'm getting at is I never pictured. I always pictured like this lobbing shitty looking arrow coming out of a recurve, you know, and, and 
dude, <laughs> dude, some of these freaking bows, man, even though you're shooting a recurve or a longbow and like, you know, I got these, uh, all that weight up front. Now I'm shooting the 200 grain iron wool heads and you know, I got your like the inserts and the collars and all that stuff. Dude, this thing freaking packs a punch and it is a dart. Um, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, the, the tuning of an arrow is, is truly a magical thing too. I'm starting to learn. Yeah. It, it, uh, it's definitely something that, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's hard to teach, um, online, uh, you know, at, at times, but, you know, when I say that, like, uh, one of the biggest eye openers for me, and again, I shot a compound for two decades before I picked up a stick bow and then I'm zipping through animals shooting like a whopping 180 feet per second with a stick bow and not getting pass throughs with my compound at times. Um, it, it, uh, it's not that difficult once you wrap your head around it, but, um, yeah, the iron yeah. broadheads are amazing. Obviously bill, um, you know, good friend and, uh, you know, I've designed some components for, I don't, are you shooting the Snyder core system or something else? Yes. I believe I might sound stupid, but I believe that's what it is. Yes. Are you shooting micro like micro diameter? Air? What, what arrow are you shooting? Yeah. It's a, um, it's a Easton. Uh, I think it's a 400 like an axis or whatever. Oh, gotcha. um, like I said, I'm going to sound, I'm going to sound real stupid with this now, but I got the insert, the outer collar. Uh, I think it's the, yeah, the Snyder core or whatever that is. Um, the combination, right? That's the insert. Yeah, yeah, and I think um, you're, you're shooting the original version of, of how I came up with the Snyder Core. Same basic principle, but, you know, the the bottom line, like with a, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, you get sometimes people like bash the, uh, the shooting a recurve and uh, whatever the efficiency of it. And, you know, I'm at several hundred animals with a recurve at this point. And it's like, guys, it's not something I'm going to argue about. Uh, a traditional bow can be very, very <laughs> lethal. Um <laughs> You know, it's just, especially too, like with iron will, like whether you're shooting like a standard or a standard or a wide, if you're shooting a, a stick bow and you're shooting a, you know, whatever, 580, 600 grain arrow and, um, and a, a very sharp fixed blade broadhead, you know, that's the equivalent of shooting a 250 to 280 foot per second, you know, 475 grain arrow out of a compound. And this isn't something I really like ever argue about because I've done it so much, but uh, a recurve is extremely lethal and people don't understand like i've zipped through hundreds of animals and, and a lot of those animals with an iron will um that um uh i how do i say this um uh i, I there's just things that people get perceived i guess when people perceive what is you know feasible to do like i would have never imagined that i could zip through an animal shooting 180 feet per second with a, with a stick bow, I just was like, eh, whatever, I'll yeah. get a hole or, you know, they're very lethal. Um, you know, it, it, it's very effective, um, you know, equipment and with iron will, I, I think you had shot those with a compound as well too, haven't you? Yeah, I was shooting. Um, I shot, uh, the, I, the wide, wide one hundreds, um, on my compound. Now I've, I've been ridiculed for my compound setup for, for many years too. And, about how light my arrow was and how it needed to be heavier. And I went down a rabbit hole uh, with that periodically about six or seven years ago. And so I realized like, wait, what am I even doing? Like I've been killing deer with this setup for so long. I do not have an issue with my arrow weight, like, you know, into what I do. So I kind of had to rewind there, but I've been shooting the iron wheel wides and 
man, I got that one season. I put down four, four bucks, uh, with, with one head. And I, um, I was, I was shooting for five, uh, with that same head and never ended up, uh, I think I ended up screwing it up by that point. But, um, yeah, man, those are some, some tough, tough heads and, the wide is what I was using with the, with the compound too. So I just kind of transitioned over. I think I, I'm a standard now, but it's a 200 grain. Um, so it's heavier up front there. Gotcha. Well, man, I've had you on here for almost, well, no, over two, two hours, I guess. So I should probably leave you alone. You're an hour ahead of me. So, um, I, I, uh, I can always get you on later. So I don't want <laughs> I I, yeah. I I was amazed. I, I posted up I was gonna have you on the podcast, so I had a ton of comments. But uh but man, I appreciate uh one, the gear you make, um, you know, the you know, pioneering of a lot of different things, obviously, as well as, you know, just just getting on the podcast and and, and keeping everything made in America. Um, all of those things are huge to me and uh yeah, I appreciate everything you do. Dude, I appreciate you, man. Thanks for having me on. It was a good combo. I am totally up to do a round two, uh, whatever you want, man. Well, it may be uh, a lot of uh, conversation about tree saddles at this point, but who knows? Um, but yeah, dude, I, I, uh, the new system I got, I'm super excited for. I got a lot of whitetail hunts this year and, uh, yeah, let's, you know, stay in contact. Maybe, hopefully I can talk you into coming out hunting elk, um, you know, and, uh, you know, hopefully maybe together and, uh, you know, whatever, give you some, uh give you some oomph as far as getting out here out west i am there i'm gonna hold you to that you just oh, yeah. messed up <laughs> no 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 <laughs> no, no no problem at all anytime man i appreciate everything you've done like i said i've been a, a huge lone wolf guy for you know two decades so you and your family have been amazing so yeah dude thank you for getting on the podcast and uh yeah we'll de- we'll do a round two at some point sounds good man all right buddy take it easy i appreciate it you too.